one of the co-lead pastors here, and it's super exciting to have you with us here today. It's always delightful to see you, uh, see smiles and see faces and bump shoulders and all that kind of stuff we can do when we're together. Um, we're also happy for those of you who can join us online. Uh, we are excited that we're still able to connect uh, in, in all the ways we can, so thank you to all of you for taking time and making space to be with us today. Um, with that, let's, let's pray. God, I give you great thanks for this day and for your presence with us, and I pray that you would speak to us in the way that that really only you can when we are together. Lord, there's something unique about us being together and something unique about us attending to you in the same time, and so I pray that you would speak to us from that space, that we would hear you um, from that space together. Yeah, I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we are in uh, week three of a sermon series that we've called Jesus Said, and Brian mentioned this earlier, it's just a good time to to attend to some of the words that Jesus said. What was he about? What was he saying? And and then how was what he was doing matching with that or or maybe confusing that at times? Um, And in week one, we looked at this moment where... um, Jesus, we looked at Luke 4, 14 through 30, and Jesus proclaims that he fulfills this prophecy from Isaiah, right? And that in doing so, he talks about things like, and, and I'm here to, to free the captives, right? And, and release the prisoners and, and to, to, and to do, heal people and do all these things. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. But then he also says something like, uh, and that might sound good to you, but it's not exactly how you expect it. And so the people there who were listening to him at first were really amazed, but then it says the result of it was that they tried to respond by throwing him, they tried to throw him off a cliff. Okay, so it shifted from we're amazed what you're saying is great to now we want to throw you off a cliff. Last week, um, we looked at uh, Jesus, uh, it's in Luke 6, 11, uh, that should be Luke 6, uh, 1 through 11, not 11 through 11, that's a short passage, uh, but Jesus challenges the worldview of this religious group of leaders called the Pharisees, who um, they're, really, uh, they're really strict about following the Jewish law, that's the, the big deal to them, you have to do this to be righteous, you have to do this in order to gain God's favor, it's the way that we connect to God and it's the way that uh, God will love us is through our obedience to this law. And part of it has to do with you can't work on the Sabbath. You can't really do anything on the Sabbath except for uh, attend to God. But Jesus challenges that by healing a person, right? And that might seem to us like, oh, well, that's kind of ridiculous. But to the group that was listening, um, particularly the Pharisees and the religious leaders, what it ended up shifting them to do was be in this position where the, the phrasing was they have to figure out what they're going to do with Jesus, right? They're there watching him. They want to know, is he going to do something on the Sabbath? And so he does. He heals someone. And then it says they have to go away and figure out what to do with him. Now, um, having an Italian background, uh, and Rich can verify this as he also has an Italian background, whenever people talk about what they're going to have to do with somebody, it eventually means they're going to kill them. Um, and that's exactly what happens. The Pharisees, as we start reading on, it's like, oh, and that's thing they're saying, and now they're plotting to kill Jesus, right? And so both of these times when Jesus speaks, the response is maybe not what we would expect, 
right? And I want us to be prepared as we keep entering into these moments that we from a distance, uh, you know, in the future, looking back on that, often look at the people who were there, whether they're ones trying to throw Jesus off the cliff or the ones who are trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. Um, and we go, oh, they just didn't get it, right? They're ignorant or whatever, but I want us to be ready because Jesus may in these moments speak something to us that maybe externally we don't express or even say out loud like, I would like to throw Jesus off a cliff right now. But maybe he says something that we try to tweak and sort of shape and, and make it so it justifies how we're living instead of adjusting how we're living to maybe what Jesus is asking us to do. And so internally, it may be a similar response. We just may not express it the same way. And so I just want us to be ready because Jesus' goal in these is to liberate, is to bring freedom. Just like he said, he's come to set the captives free. And that includes us, even in our day-to-day -day lives, even us who've been following Jesus for a long time, we still have things that might hold us back. We still have things that might be like shackles for us. And so I just want us to be ready for that. Now, the first week, too, we did this sort of, uh, gave a lot of time for people to share and, and broke up into small groups, and, and we're going to do that uh, sort of intermittently uh, throughout this series, and especially moving into Lent. We're going to have some more of that, but today I just really want you to listen and engage that way, and then there might be some time at the end we can share, but uh, just that, too. So we're going to be looking today at Luke 6, 27 through 36. If you have your Bible, you can open it up and follow along there, or the verses will be up on the screen, um, or if uh, you uh, just want to sit and listen, that's totally fine. So here we go. This is Luke 6, 27 through 36. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks of you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Just previous to this moment that we have in Scripture, Jesus, uh, and we kind of recounted those in our recap, but Jesus um, also did this section called the Beatitudes. And in that section, he's, he's explaining that the poor, right, the hungry, um, he's going through this list, those who weep and those who are hated because of their allegiance to Jesus, all those are to be blessed. And then he goes into this list of woes that follows that. It's kind of the opposite. He says, woe to those who are rich, those who are well-fed, those who laugh, and those who are spoken well of by all the people. And so Jesus is going about this work of taking systems that are in place and turning them upside down, inside out, reversing the systems that try to hold people down. 
Systems that allow some to dominate over others, allow some to wield power like a weapon instead of using it to build people up. And so then he enters this section. He's gone through all that. He's shifting things around, turning things up, upside down. And he says, but to you who are listening, to you who are listening, I say this. Now, the people who were there, if we read um, in uh, just er, in 6, 17 through 19, we're told that he goes down and he says he stands on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, um, from uh, uh, the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who were there. They've come there and they're there to hear him. They're also there uh, to be healed of diseases. It talks about that they're cured of impure spirits. Uh, and then lastly, um, uh, all the people there tried to touch him. Right. So imagine the scene. You've got a large group of people around Jesus. He's teaching. You've got some being healed. You've got some having demons cast out of them. You've, everyone's trying to get in to touch Jesus. It's this big crowd. It's this big scene. Jesus says, to those of you who are listening, to those of you who are hearing me, right, there's so much going on. You're all trying to touch me. I don't know if you've ever been, um, a f- several years ago, um, uh, the guy who was the pastor before Rich and I were the co-lead pastors, his name was Dennis, and uh, one Easter, Dennis hid uh, chocolate Easter bunnies, like a hundred of them, throughout the building. And then he let one child know. And within like 30 seconds, every child in this building was gone, looking for Easter bunnies. Now, rumor is there's still a couple left. So if you ever find those, I advise you not to eat it. I know those things are supposed to last forever, but I think they even have a shelf life. But the, the idea was is that at that point, anyone could have stood up and said, children, not a single one of them would have listened. Right, they're, they're on a mission. All these people are gathered around Jesus. He's healing. Now everyone's moving and trying to touch him. And Jesus says, hey, those of you who are listening. Right, so that's, that's the scene. And it's into that that he says this really interesting thing. He says, love your enemies. Right, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. This would have been absolutely outside of the realm of possibility for what any of the people attending to Jesus would have expected. And so imagine now, say you were one of the people who's still listening, and Jesus says this, and all of a sudden it's like that... uh, I can't say, all of you guys remember, well, not all of you, some of you remember what a record player is, but the needle scratch, everything stops. Right? I don't know what the current, uh, your computer shuts down. That's it. Um, But, um, and so there's this moment where you'd go, what? Love your enemies? Do what? Do good to those who hate you? Bless those who curse you? Pray for those who mistreat you? One author said that it would have been a palpable irritation and scorns for saying, like, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them the other also. And if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. A palpable irritation and scorn. 
Another author says that uh, Jesus, as he's coming out of this debate he just had with the Pharisees over the Sabbath and stuff like that, says uh, Jesus has rejected uh, what is for his, I love this word, interlocutors, a, def- a divinely ordained understanding of the world and the practices it generates. Rejecting their view of the world, he undercuts the dispositions that orient their actions and inclinations that make up their daily lives. Unfortunately for Jesus and his movement, the worldview of these Pharisees and scribes is widespread and has become institutionalized in patterns of expected behavior reinforced by social sanctions. Those who do not discriminate in their choices of table companions, those who do not fast, those who do not observe the Sabbath, such people are defined as outsiders, people of low regard in this system. Jesus now counteracts those negative sanctions by doing nothing less than redefining the world, positing as the foundation of this world the Old Testament affirmation of the merciful Father. So we have Jesus flipping these systems putting down a new foundation where new practices, new perceptions, and new attitudes are going to be born, and he's now putting those into place. So he upends everything, puts down a new foundation for new pathways for humanity to walk on to get off the old ones of the world. But what are these new conditions of existence for those who follow Jesus? What are the general shape of the behaviors in life that Jesus is saying should be natural for those who participate in his community? Love your enemy. Love your enemy is where he goes. But we don't hear that as natural for us. At least I don't. Um, And I don't think it takes much understanding to figure out why. I don't have to dig very deep to go, oh, I know why I don't like that. It's because uh, asking me to love people who not just I hate but even dislike a little bit. People who just are annoying, people who just rub me the wrong way. That's a lot, it feels like. But Jesus is saying, no, this is actually the norm. It's not a special occasion moment. This is how life is to be. We might say, well, can't we just avoid the people we hate? Maybe I can just unfriend them. And what were the cultural expectations at this time? What, what would people in Jesus' time in this moment, what would they have been thinking? Uh, Ephraim the Syrian in the fourth century, so a little bit after this, but still contemporary, says an eye for an eye is a normative Old Testament notion of perfection and justice. This teaching of Jesus concerning righteousness, however, seems to turn the received standard of justice completely inside out. Um, in the Jewish sect in Qumran, um, which is where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, um, it, uh, it says that uh, the, you had rights uh, to hate one's enemy. They're actually spelled out. There's like a list of the ways you can hate your enemy. And especially in the context of Roman occupation where they feel like they're completely justified in hating Rome. So from the Jewish side of things, you had an eye for an eye, and it's also okay to hate your enemies. But what about the Greek side, where uh, you had lots of people in that time coming from that perspective? This guy, uh, Hesiod, uh, says in this poem called Working Days, love those who love you, help those who help you, give to those who give to you, never to those who do not. Right? That's, that's kind of the going attitude. And so um, Jesus, again, is taking all these systems and just directly countering them. 
Everything he says about loving our enemies flies in the face of the conventional wisdom of, the, of their time by advocating the insensibility of failing to distinguish enemies from friends. This is not love for humanity in general, but specifically for those who stand in opposition to you. And if we kind of try to leave that vague, kind of say, okay, I'll love my enemies and really shift back to just kind of avoiding them. Jesus, again, he goes into this big, long list. When someone curses you, you bless them. Someone mistreats you, you pray for them. Someone slaps you, you give them the other cheek. I'm going to talk about that one in just a second. Um, Someone takes your coat, you give them your shirt. Someone uh, asks for something, you give. Uh, Someone takes, you don't demand it back. Uh, When you lend something, you don't expect repayment. You always do unto others what you would have them do unto you, and you always be merciful. Now, one of the things I want us to be careful of here is some people have taken this verse, this section, and said what it means is we have to submit to any kind of abusive behavior we might be in. And that's completely not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is in these, and we'll see in just a second, providing some means to, to turn the power structure around. Because some of these are clearly based on uh, power structures, relationships where someone has power over another person. Right? When you lend something, you have power over that person because you might take collateral or something like that. You might hold them to that. In fact, there was a, an Old Testament rule about um, if you took someone's cloak as collateral for a loan, you had to return it at night if they were poor because they needed that to sleep in to stay warm. So you would take it for the day, but you would return it at night so they could be warm. Right? So there's a way that, that there's these power structures in place. Now, the one about striking someone in the face, uh, Luke doesn't point this out, but Matthew does. That Matthew says, if someone strikes you on the right side of the face. Now, why might that be important? Well, if I'm going to strike someone on the right side of the face using my right hand, and you might say, well, what if you're left-handed? Uh, and this is, this is really unusual, but this is the way the ancient world worked sometimes. Um, to use your left hand for anything was considered unclean. Right, So sorry for left-handed people. Uh, At that point, you were considered unclean, um, and and so people would force themselves to use their right hand. Um, Also, if I slap with my palm or strike with my fist, it means I'm engaging with a peer, right? And so there was a way, if I slap like this or I strike like this, uh, I was considering that person a peer. And there was a penalty for striking a peer that was four silver coins. Um, if you struck a peer with the back of your hand, it was, a, it was a fine of 400 coins because that was taking authority over them. Right? That, was, that was taking a position of authority. And so striking with the back of the hand was used as a way to uh, get people who you perceived as lower than you in line. Right? And so the challenge is, if I'm going to strike someone with my right hand, right, I have to do it with the backhand because I can't cross over to the right side of the face to make it. So Matthew says right side of the face. I can't cross over to the right side of the face with my right hand unless I go like this. And that's like a really bad way to, it wouldn't, it just doesn't work, right? So it's a backhand strike. Now, what happens when you turn the other cheek is you force the person to either use their left hand 
or strike with their right hand. So they use their left hand and now they have a huge fine and they're guilty of striking someone um, with their left hand and all these other things. But if they use their right hand, open hand or strike, then they're considering you an equal. And so what you've done in turning the other cheek is you've said, uh, your goal of humiliating me with the first strike was unsuccessful. Now try again on this other side. And they can't because then they either make that person an equal or they bring humiliation on themselves. And so Jesus is saying there's a way to participate in this that is a way of protest, that is a way of turning the tables around um, that, that leads to something different. And each one of these things that I went through, there's a unique kind of twist on it like that. And so Jesus is not saying you just take it. Right? You just take it and say, thank you, sir, may I have another. Right? That's not what Jesus is saying. But some people have used this passage to try and communicate that. But again, Jesus is not saying that. And so Jesus has these ways of uh, trying to uh, give people opportunities to exercise a different thing. But in all of these, what we see, whether it's blessing uh, those who curse you, praying, uh, turning the other cheek, uh, not just giving uh, your coat when it's taken, but give them your shirt, which uh, uh, there's a whole lot about that. But um, giving to anyone who asks and not expecting, don't demand it back, uh, all these things, um, and even be merciful, it's all action, right? It's the way love is expressed. So we see that love for Jesus has some kind of action attached to it. It's not passivity in the face of opposition, uh, and it's not only exclusive to those who seemingly are against Jesus, but even beggars would uh, be considered outsiders to the point that people would say they're an enemy. They have no interaction with any other class but their own. And so they're, they're uh, isolated, they're put out, and they're considered to be an enemy. Right? So we have all these things coming into place that Jesus is just going after. Uh, Joel Green says, in essence, Jesus calls his followers to form a community, the boundaries of which are porous, and whose primary emblematic behavior is its refusal to treat others, even or especially those who hate, exclude, revile, and defame you as though they were enemies. And one of the things I found really interesting was that uh, all the scholars I looked at, theologians, all this stuff, they, they started using this phrase kinship. Right? That really what Jesus is saying is um, we, we don't see anyone as outside of the family. Right? That, that kinship um, is, is the, the system that he's putting into place. And if you remember about six months ago, we did a sermonship on discipleship. A sermonship, a sermon series on discipleship or following Jesus, and we talked about kinship, and it's a it's a fundamental piece of how people understood hospitality. That uh, and this guy uh, Mark Glanville, he's a professor uh, at seminary, and he says uh, solidarity uh, is part of this idea of kinship, and his solidarity has everything to do with the ideas of who we are to support and who we can receive support or help from. And so he said the Old Testament world, the New Testament world, the ancient world was constantly looking for ways to connect through these systems of kinship where people are trying to figure out who am I supposed to give help and support to and who can I receive help and support from? And that that was how family was defined. That was like the, the baseline for family. You knew that your family would support you or that you would support them. That was how that was viewed. And so Jesus here is putting this thing into place where he's saying, love your enemy. Your enemy, you have to consider them as family. 
Sky Marshal Solon says that kinsfolk are persons who participate in each other's existence. They are members of one and other. So Jesus is saying his followers are to treat their enemies as family, to love them. And again, most of us don't like this. Uh, and even though we don't express it the same time, uh, the same way, I know, again, I'll speak for myself, um, internally, when I hear Jesus saying some of these things, um, I, I find myself uh, moving in some uh, squirming kind of directions. Like, ah, I don't want to sit with this. I want, I want to move differently. I don't want to, I don't want to hear this. I, you know, again, it's not pushing him off the cliff, but I'm trying to soften up what he says. Well, ah, if I don't ever see that person, then I, you know, that's kind of the same thing. I can love them without really having to think or see them, think about them or see them. And I want to say, as a pastor, sometimes these sermons uh, are difficult because uh, it can be any day, it seems like right now, where I can just go on the internet and open my browser, and what pops up are a bunch of news stories. War, injustice, racism, hatred. Uh, I recently saw that the, the Razzies, you know what these are, the Razzie Awards, they're the opposite of the Oscars, so they award for the worst film and the worst of this. Uh, they recently nominated a 12-year-old girl as the worst actress of the year. And I was like, and, and, and to their credit, they immediately came out and apologized. Well, immediately after huge backlash was thrown at them, they immediately apologized. The, the, the owner and kind of CEO of the group says, our motto is own your bad, so we have to own our bad. We really messed up on that. They now have a rule, no one under 18 will ever be nominated. But I can't imagine as a 12-year-old being told that the thing that I had just invested so much time and energy in I'm being told by people I'm the worst at, right? This is a child. Like, what, what are we doing when we're going to tell a child, you know what, you're the worst. You're just the worst at that. And not even in a way that they can really respond to, but, but in a distance that is spread to tons of people. How do we do this when, when the culture and the world we live in can't even just say kind things to a child, right? And obviously, it's not all of us. Right, but a lot of people love the Razzies. And again, there's tons of others. And so when, when we come to this moment and it's like, okay, so now what do we do? How do we do this? I don't know. I know what Jesus says, though, is he says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, give them the other also. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who asks. And if someone takes something that belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others what you would have them do to you. If you lend to someone, do it without expecting payment back and be merciful. And then I tweak the ending of that. But as God was merciful to you. Um... We're going to end a little bit differently today. Worship team, you can go ahead and come up. Typically at this point, I have some questions I want to ask, but um, this morning I want you to write down just, I want you to come up with your own questions. 
what about this do you have questions about? What? Because there's tons of directions this can go, and there's tons of situations. And I could say, up, come up here and try to give specific application, but I would only hit a few people. I would have to go like each person. Okay, here's your application, here's your application, here's your setting, here's your worldview, here's your work, here's your home, right? How does it work out? That's up to you. Right, And we're here to love and encourage one another and support one another, but I just can't give that kind of application. Uh, and I also feel like if, if we give application every week, there's 52 weeks of application. That's a lot. That's a lot to ask every week, try to take something new and apply it. I think we'd do well maybe just once a month like having some application and maybe work on that a little bit. Because I feel like instead, most of us, we, we just kind of shift by it and go on to the next one. Oh, okay, there's the application. I tried, maybe I didn't. Uh, right? So this week, I just want you to write down, what are you hearing? What are your own questions? Right? Uh, I'm going to pray. We're going to close with a song and a benediction. The prayer team, if you could come up also, they'll be available if you have anything you want to pray about. Maybe there's some people, we typically don't use the word enemies very much in our life. Um, I don't. Um, but, but there are people that I, and I use phrases like people who I don't like, people who don't like me, people who are annoying, people who I annoy, right? There's, there's all kinds of ways we can rephrase that. But um, I think we want to think about it in, in those kinds of ways. And so maybe there's some people that you're trying to think of that God's asking you to figure out a way to love them. And maybe one of these, maybe it's I'm going to pray for someone, right? Maybe it's I'm going to bless someone. Um, if, if you're in a situation where someone is slapping you, um, I, would, I would suggest, uh, the, I think in our culture today, turning the other cheek looks very much like going and talking to some other adult authority um, who can help you navigate that situation. Um, because there's no, there's no structure in place right now like the other one. We're just turning the other cheek uh, that, that reverses the power structure. Right, so, so we have to find another way to do that. Um, so again, there's all kinds of ways we can interpret these. But um, again, you write down your own thoughts, your own questions. I'm going to pray, and then again, we'll close with a song uh, and a benediction. Jesus, I, I, when I read these stories, there's always so much more that I want. I want follow-up conversations. I want to know, well, what about this and what about that? And when someone did this, and it seems like a lot of these are, you said something, and then people are instantly trying to throw you off a cliff. Or people are trying to figure out what to do with you. And I find myself, and, and, I, and I think my friends and my family here, we might be in the same spot. We hear these words you say about, uh, we got to love our enemies, and we got to bless those who curse us, and pray for those who mistreat us, and, uh, you know, or vice versa, or however it works. And, and all the things we go through, and I feel like we have a lot of questions about, well, how does this get worked out? Um, Holy Spirit, I pray you would show us. I pray you would illuminate for us one of the moments where it needs to look this way or it needs to look that way. Where are the moments where it needs to be, we have to reverse that authority structure and where are the moments where it's, I have to pray. Where are the moments where I'm the one who maybe is in power and I've lent something to someone. God, God, help us to figure out how to do this stuff. And Lord, I pray we would, we would work on it together. God, that you have called us together as a people, and I pray that we would not just take this stuff and then just go home and think about it, but that we would actually be finding ways to discuss with one another and to live life with one another in ways that these things can be practiced and expressed, um, and so then when we go out uh, and do this, we can figure out how to do this better. So um, 
yeah, Spirit be with us and help us figure this out. Because it's critical in our world right now, Jesus. So we ask uh, this in your name. Amen.